everybody, and welcome to This Week in X, presented by Crushing Comics. I'm your host, Crisis with a K, and I'm here with two of my very good friends and mutant fans from around the world from me, Tyler and Fariha. And we are here to talk about the X-Men comics out from Marvel on the 24th of March. There's two of those comic books. That is Cable number nine and Excalibur number 19. So this comes with our normal warning. We are here to get into every possible detail in these comic books which is going to talk, it's going to have a lot of that. And it's going to also involve a lot of details from the past of these characters and um, how they connect to the broad, deep history of the Marvel Universe. So all of which is to say, spoilers abound and you have been warned. We've only got the three of us today. Harry is in the healing gardens right now, so we'll hopefully be seeing him back in a future episode. So since it's just the three of us, we're all going to take the same question. It's from one of today's issues. And that question is, is there a song that could be played on repeat in order to enact torture or revenge against your person? And what is that song and why? And we'll start with Tyler. It's not so much a song. It's a... Um, type of song mm. so like I cannot really enjoy heavy metals so it's like the <laughs> oh, it's like, I'm like oh my god save me <laughs> so that's that's for me so um, yeah I mean I'm Asian I, I grew up listening to you know Kanto and Mandarin pop so ballads are my thing <laughs> so <laughs> So if we did, so, if we produced a heavy metal version yeah. of one of those ballads, even if you loved it, that would be yeah. bad news for you. Yeah, because I I really can't stand the all the all the whacking sound and the and the and the and the and the drums and the you know symbols or whatever. <laughs> yeah, no, it doesn't work for me. Surprisingly, Russians actually use heavy metal as a torture mechanism. Oh. So you're not off there. Like, you know, they they actually use it like on off, like, you know, so mm. it's like it creates like ne you're never settled. So yeah. it's like a psychological torture that is being used. What about you, Freya? What would be psychological torture for you other than Russian heavy metal interrogation <laughs> tactics? <laughs> uh, so this is me just giving away my secret. So now you can all can use this. It's a blue daba diva. <laughs> oh, oh the, I hate that song. I hate that song. And just like talking about it is just like now. Mm. And they used to play that song all the time when it came out. Like in the TV, it, it couldn't. At that time, there used to be music videos on TV. So mm -hmm. I'm dating myself. Uh, but <laughs> then, and it was like every now and then the, the blue Daba Diva would come up. I hate <laughs> that song. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> So I have this thing about music where I think any decent song, even some bad songs, usually you can adapt them in some way to make them good or interesting. So even like a song mm. that I really don't like, if somebody sat down, you know, with a drum machine or sat down with a piano and a guitar or sat down with an acapella group and worked it out, I, there's hardly any song in the world that I think is like an irredeemable song. So I think it was funny in the context of this issue that it wasn't even that just the song was banned. It was being played in a terrible way. But um, if there's one song that it just like grinds my gears, uh, I hate Dancing Queen by ABBA. It makes me crazy. And I like a lot of other ABBA and I love to dance. And so people like always assume like it'll come on at a wedding or something. People are like, come on, Peter, you must love this one. And I'm like, no. 
because it's it's a, a weird tempo because it was specifically for the kinds of dances that they would be doing mm-hmm. at that time. But it's really hard to dance to if you're not doing like one of these dances that has a specific moveset, I find. And also, I hate the melodic development in Dancing Queen and never has a jump. It's like, it's very monotone. And it makes me crazy. There's so many ABBA songs that I love. Gimme, 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 Man After Midnight, um, Mamma Mia, of course. Uh, so many, um, Take a Chance on Me. So many amazing ABBA songs, but I cannot deal with Dancing Queen. Always learn something new about us in every one of these questions. This really <laughs> blowing my mind. Because I thought Dancing Queen will be your number one song. Or like one of them. Because the no, way everybody you talk does. about People music. I'm going to like it. Okay, this is your, you know, character, like, you know, this is your, um, what do you call it, expectation, like, you know, when your character does something <laughs> out of character, and you because you are just written by Hickman, that's oh, just no. what happened. Peter just got written by Hickman, <laughs> that, you know, that was like, Peter doesn't like, I mean, that's what is happening to me. I'm like, this is out of character. <laughs> that's why it's always so funny to bring up, because, like, people who know me well, people who don't know me well, everybody's like, really? You don't like dancing? It's like, almost like they're offended, like they've totally misinterpreted the whole situation. Yes! Now the song is playing in my mind. No, I hate it. Me too. I have to me listen too. to some heavy metal and, and wash it out. <laughs> For cable number nine, as we always do, let's start with a lightning round of initial reactions, and then we'll get into the deep stuff. Starting with Tyler. Um, I mean, knowing that the series ends with number 12, <laughs> I can't help but feel like this is a young cable goodbye tour of sorts. Oh no. So, you know, even <laughs> even though I do not know what will happen, but um, when I read it the second time, it just felt incredibly wistful. Especially the scene with Rachel and Ileana. And um, for that and the beautiful nodal art, I give this a 3.75 recorders out of 5. Very <laughs> huh? Um, no, I agree with Tyler on that because it felt like, especially at the end, one where the story is going, it seems like it's and it's going to end up being a sacrificial thing i feel like i don't know and it really hurt like you know because knowing that it's like we only have three more issues left but then also knowing that we have three more issues potentially of this character or this version of the character and i don't know it just really made me go oh like i was i was really sad at the end of it mm. so and i loved the all the tour like you know he's going around and talking to different people it really reminded me of dennis hopeless as gene gray where it's like young gene gray is that exactly. around and talking yeah. to that's what i thought too yeah going going around and talking to everyone and trying to get help from mm-hmm. them it really reminded yeah. me of that i'm like oh look at that like mother like son you know so <laughs> and it was like young version of both of them right so yeah i mean i i really enjoyed it and i'm sad that it's gonna be ending so, yeah. Well, I would certainly echo those emotions. I think Tyler nailed it with the idea of wistful. Like, it, I really, truly felt that. But the other thing, since you've so beautifully stated that, both of you, is that we talk a lot about middle issues, middle chapters. Oh, that was a middle chapter. So here's the middle chapter, and it proves that they can be good comic books. Like, this was a middle chapter that had me compelled throughout the whole thing, referenced tons of great relationships, tons of great character history, um, almost as much character history as some whole 
series have referenced in this new X-Men era. And it left us with some really interesting questions and it made us feel something. So I think to say that something's a middle chapter and it shouldn't have like goals or it shouldn't have to accomplish everything, that's a cop-out. Because here we have a, a middle chapter that it sounds like we all not only enjoyed, but like really made us feel emotions uh, without being some slam bang action beat. And I think that's great. I think more comics should aspire to that. Mm-hmm. So Agreed. we're going to take this somewhat sequentially, which is going to mean the sad part will come at the end, which hopefully will mean this whole discussion won't just be a bummer. We have some happier times to talk about first. <laughs> yeah. And this starts out, you know, I did just say that middle chapters don't always have action, but this starts with a very fun, kind of silly James Bond parody kind of action beat, which is teaching AIM not to get too close to Krakoa. Which, on its surface, is just not all that deep, right? AIM's nuclear submarine is a little too close. Somehow, Cable and Esme insert themselves into it, (laughs) mess it up, escape through a a torpedo tube, and and it's just visually fun. Noto does a great job at it. But there's something larger here, which is that um, you know, Cable being used of a tool as a tool to protect Krakoa, Cable doing things on the behalf of Emma and Cyclops, Cable trading with Emma for some information that he doesn't want to go to mom, Jean Grey, about, which means he also doesn't necessarily want to get Scott involved either. Um, and also, Esme kind of being her own person. So I thought that there was a lot more to this than just, ooh, James Bondy, submarine, whatever. But is that just me, or did you get that too? Tyler, you go first. I mean, um, I agree that um, there is uh, a lot of, like, relationships and, um, you know, like, uh, some of it, like, one degree away, you know. So it's like, I mean, we, we, we have seen the Summer Clan together for quite a while and quite a number of issues now. And now we are looking at the relationships between the Frost Clan and between Cable and Emma Frost. So, um, but uh, talking about the art, there's one small nitpick I have to uh, sort of talk about. Um, it's really it's really something which I was like, it took me a while to realize that there was one panel where Is- Ismail and, uh, and and Nate is like running in the beekeeper suit because I think Nodo's <laughs> art really does not work very effectively when there's some action. So it, it is that page. Um, it is page. Uh, the very first page. They're the last running panel. Yeah, the last panel. They are like oh, running. Oh yeah, I didn't get that at all. I didn't get that at all until like I mean, it took me like the second or the third time when I look at the panel. Then I realized, oh, they are running away from the guy who says, "Hey, no, uh, no go zone." <laughs> so, yeah. Freya, what did you think about this opening action sequence and subsequent relationships? So um, I really like that the cuckoos are becoming their own individual people. Like, you know, like we have Phoebe, even though it is like, okay, it's because of a relationship. Okay, fine. (laughs) Uh, But the thing is like, it is, it still like feels like I can separate them out a little bit. Like, you know, at least Phoebe more so than Esme. Uh, But the thing is like, um, one thing is for sure that um, Cable doesn't feel about Esme as... uh, um, queer does about Phoebe so you know one of them won out a little bit more than the other um and I loved that the whole caper thing like you know at the beginning because AIM has always been kind of dumb 
So it's like another dumb thing. And, you know, also the, um, I also had the question, like, because when he was like, oh, can you help me out? I'm like, why aren't you asking Jean? But then I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Someone else is also asking that question. So I think there was a lot of that. Um, it was fun. I, I had fun with it. And, you know, but my question is, though, is like, who is saying weird things about cable? Like cable. Everybody was scared of the old man. Nobody's scared of the kid. Then why aren't you saying your name? Anonymous pat- patron at Blue La- Green Lagoon. Green Lagoon. <laughs> yeah, just like it's anonymous patron. Random, just some random uh, mutant that like old cable, like you know, beat up <laughs> long time yeah, ago. Yeah, but <laughs> oh yeah, but the thing is, like, he's still not. He or she is still not saying their name. So it's like you were no. still scared. You know, <laughs> I think it's Vanish Vanisher because I'm currently reading that era of X Men. I'm like, it's Vanisher. It's, no, it got all his name all be. over it, yeah. all over it. So yeah, but you know, but it was fun, like a fun start. You know, the thing that occurred to me, and I'll come back around to that cuckoo's point in a second, because I've really been thinking about that a lot, is just the difference, if there is any, between Cable and Choir, right? Like, I think, you know, they're both these telekinetic psychic teens. You know, Choir is a is a historical troublemaker, and we're seeing him in X-Force, and we've got Cable with his own title here. And there have been points that I'm like, do we, could this have just been a Choir title, you know? But I think that Cable is here self-involved in a different way. He's self-involved. He feels this weight. Cable's self-involvement is not about him being cool. It's about, like, him being good enough, him living up to this thing. This thing that of his older self, this thing of his father, this thing of his daughter. And now he's the youngest one, because I think he's he's being played even younger than Hope here, especially as yeah. we see later in the issue. And he just feels this constant weight, which we saw as a plot beat in X of Swords of, like, he's just not good enough. And I, I just think that that's so fascinating in such an interesting way. And it's I think it's why we're reacting partially so much to table, teen, teen table, teen, teen table, teen, teen cable, teen, teen cable. cable, so much differently <laughs> than we were at the beginning. And because at the beginning, he just had all of the bluster and assuredness of the old guy. Yeah. And there's no real reason to like him as a teenager. Exactly. And, and now there is. And then I contrast that with the Cuckoo's thing. And I think, Freya, you said it perfectly. Like, they're allowed, they're being allowed to have their own journey and development. And you almost, um, I feel like Phoebe in X-Force is coming off kind of much more cooler and self-assured. And Esme is coming off, like, a little bit more, like, she wants to be buddy-buddy with Cable. And Cable's, like, not letting her into that level, which ends with Emma's great line. The boy would rather throw himself <laughs> in the ocean than be with you at the moment. I'm like, why? Why is Emma so nasty to her? <laughs> well, is Esme the one who originally revolts at the... I'm trying to remember which one oh. of them is the bad one at mm. the end of Marson's new X-Men. Does anybody remember? I can't remember. I think it's her. It's her. Yeah. Emma, like, to me, always... I kind of like Emma treats her as like the ugly duckling a little yeah. bit. Like, oh, as my... Uh. So, yeah. So the thing is, like, I, I, I always tell that I'm the oldest of four daughters. And, you know, my mother has one of that, too. It's not me. But... <laughs> like, uh, are you sure? No, I'm sure. I'm sure. Like, you know, but it's, it's because all... The rest three of us know which one that is. And we all is like, oh yeah. So I I can I felt that. I felt that over there. Like, but the thing is to your point though, you were saying that, you know, how my interpretation of that is a little bit different because I feel like Phoebe ha is and this is something this is me being cynical about these cuckoos uh, is is that is Phoebe controlling choir more because she always inserting memories in his brain and then trying to change how he feels about her 
and Esme is not necessarily doing that hmm. to table. Like That's I always feel that way because they're all very much similar though. But it's like she's trying to go at it more organic way. But Phoebe's like, oh, this one dies a lot. So I can plant whatever memory I want in this one and create whatever relationship I have. I don't know. I always feel that. I'm, I've been feeling that way about them. But to take the less cynical side of that same argument, it's like, Phoebe's actually needed. Like, she's made a real human connection. Can we ever say that any of the cuckoos have really, really made a human connection with somebody else before? But, like, she's essential to him. And as much as we're always against defining a woman by making her essential to a man, I think it's allowed Phoebe to understand things about herself. Like, she was really assertive in that Mm -hmm. last week X-Force issue. And, like, Esme, in a similar situation here, is he's already psychic. Like, he doesn't need her in the same way that Choir needs... Phoebe, even though Choir's already psychic? I don't know. I just, I think there's, I don't even feel like I'm all the way there. I think people who maybe pay more attention to the cuckoos and the difference between the cuckoos probably are getting even more of it. I definitely look at them kind of as five of five of one, one of five a lot of the time. And I'm really confronting these past couple weeks. Like, oh, wow, they really do have some individual beats yeah. that we're starting to see here. May, I, but the I thing is, like, one with, of them with... is always wearing black, right? Nowadays. Oh, really? Yeah, going yeah. back to Hawks One, I think. I think I think Mindy oh. is the one. Mindy or, oh, okay. or Irma. She's like, she's like, oh, I'm I'm thinking of adopting a Krakoa name, and she's always in black. Yeah. Oh, okay. Go for it. Uh, choosing a color like clothes color is not a good characteristics, girlfriend. So you need to find something <laughs> different. Uh, but I also want to say though, it's like it's all four of them are with him though, right? Because except for Phoebe, like they were dating. We- yeah, they were all dating him. So it's like, I think it, it's a little diluted feelings that mm. Cable has to each of them. Versus Choir has only one because she's working him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm but going she's with working, she's, she's working him without the knowledge of the other four. Right, you know, right. she doesn't. She's she's her own. Yeah, she's, she's choosing like her she, own she path. cut off that part of of her from the hive. Yeah, you know, yeah. because she's more into pink than these so ones more into techno organic that... virus. <laughs> no, the other thing is that is this ship the UFO ship of X uh, of 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 Emma? Mm-hmm. You know, you know, Emma has that UFO thing in oh, Marauders. No, it looks right. just kind of like a normal boat. Well, it does, but, but does that ship, like, can that ship transform? Well, I don't know. I mean, they're both by Duggan, so I guess, like, yeah. why would he use Emma and not continue that plot beat? Right. So, but, I mean, the other thing also is that, sorry, <laughs> I think this is the first time we see Scott and Emma in this new era spending time together. Without the rest of their housemates. Yeah, without yeah. without other people coming in and things like that, and without you know Emma basically you know welding a whip at him when he's trying to have a Philly cheesesteak. That's the only <laughs> time. I think well, it's kind of interesting that like Cable has been the one book where we've seen the two of them together, which is interesting because during X of Swords, it was like mm. became the Summer Family book, and the and we've seen a lot of Scott and Jean, but it also yeah. is giving us a lot of Scott and Emma. If you think about it, there's been like a few Scott and Emma moments in yeah, Cable, and we're really not seems. getting it anywhere else really so it's just yeah i don't know duggan has really found a way to make this a home of 
character moments. And I think we're about to get into that with Cable's tour. And that's part of what's making me kind of preemptively miss it. Like, I don't necessarily, I, I can see reasons to bring back old guy Cable. But if we're going to lose this book that just has a, so much like little character stuff, I feel like we're going to go back to X Factor being the only book that's doing that. And like, that's why I'm into the line now. Like, I feel like the original mm-hmm. books weren't. And like the newer books are, and I, I don't want to lose yeah. that. But let's start into that tour now. So I think the first two are pretty commonplace. Maybe we could tackle them together and then we'll tackle the more fun prior to. So, he, you know, the psychics can't track down Strife. So Cable goes to Madripoor because he's like, Wolverine owes me one. <laughs> yeah. And just totally blows Wolverine's cover. And this like very, very silly Wolverine's up to some patch thing. That's some part of what's happening in the Wolverine book, probably. And he's like, you want me when you when there's something ready to slice. Y- you've come and got me too early. Yeah. And so then he goes back to Rachel who it's kind of interesting because he's not going to get like a more from Rachel than he was necessarily going to get psychically from Emma and everybody. But Rachel Mm -hmm. understands him better as his sister. And she also makes some other connections and she helps him realize that like the mutant babies is maybe the, the thread to pull on, not just the scanning the world for strife. So Mm -hmm. did the two of you starting with Freya have any thoughts on this first two interactions with P um, you know, Wolverine his sometimes combatant and Rachel, his sister and sometimes partner in crime. Um, I mean, the Wolverine was was very straight up Wolverine versus like an you know, Wolverine cable interaction. Um, part of me kind of wished that it was Deadpool. I don't know because two of them go so oh, well together. Or funnier too, like Cable and Deadpool. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because I would, I was feeling that, okay, why go to Wolverine? I don't know. I haven't seen a lot of interaction between them other than whatever's in the current line. I don't like, you know, but the thing is, that's one of the reasons I'm like, oh, I wish it was Deadpool. You don't want to say goodbye to him. So uh, that felt a little miss like off. Um, and then the, with the Rachel one, like, you know, it's also like, I don't necessarily know a lot about their relationship other than the familial relationship that they have. Uh, and so, but the thing is, I was just laughing that he totally stole her idea and then just passed it off as his to magic <laughs> like he just that it's just a scene cut in the next one it's like hey by the way i've been thinking you know it's like no you haven't been <laughs> rachel told you this so so but that, that was also very much in line with table is like he's just yeah. going for it's it just, it's like it's just a teenager basically yeah, yeah yeah it's like hey listen i thought about it and maybe that's a yeah. way to impress magic right because yeah. you know it's like oh yeah rachel told you like you know so this is the way his yeah. way of doing that so because, i like because, that yeah no go ahead sorry no no i mean i like rachel interaction just because how it cut to the next scene <laughs> <laughs> like it was just a, such a cool kind of like hey by the way i had an idea no you didn't <laughs> so yeah yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny that, like, Young Cable had to pants a waiter to get into the bar and then forgot that he has to do that and totally blew, you know, patch a cover. I'm like, come on, you just had to do that to get into the bar. What do you think Wolverine is doing there? And right. so, but I mean, yeah, I agree. It's a little bit typical and it's, it's, but it's kind of a funny beat, you know, to get from one point to the other point. And um, I don't. I mean, do you feel like Nodo's art in this issue is a little bit more detailed than his usual? Um, like I think he he put in a lot more in the background. Like in the bar, you can see that you know there's like bottles of different different colors and shape, and and things like that. I also um, think he's and- coloring a little bit differently. The colors just seem like a little bit more um, dimensional. 
They just have like mm. a little bit more. It's even on the faces. They're not kind of as like blandly one color. Rachel's face when she's looking back at Cable um, and we see over his shoulder. It just has like different tones to it. And there's just more yeah. uh, tone to her flesh. So I was really struck that there was a coloring difference. And I think it's just really interesting. Noto has so many tools in his toolbox. And I don't think that any one of these issues don't look like they're a piece with one of the other issues. But mm -hmm. then they definitely look distinct from each other as we yeah. see him doing different things. And I think that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I agree. Agree. My only reaction really to these scenes is, I mean, the Wolverine scene, I kind of was like, did we even need those pages? I mean, it was fine. It's fine. But okay. the Ra I just really like when Rachel gets played as a big sister. I really think it gives her the thing that her character sometimes lacks, which is like a little bit of purpose and wisdom based on the things that she's experienced in her time displaced yeah. life. That was why I really liked her in classic Excalibur with Kitty. And I just, it's why I get so excited and happy about Rachel here, because I just think it works really well when you use Rachel as like a peer, but also kind of like a mentor or somebody who's like, I know what that feels like, or let me help you like get yeah. to the bottom of those feelings. But this leads that's to the magic she... scene. Oh, go ahead, Tyler. No, I said that's why she has to do a prestige black, white, and red anthology series. <laughs> There's so much you can do with her. I think we all want to talk a little bit about this magic scene because it was funny. And people who don't like the goofy quality of Duggan or of Cable, I can imagine they were probably rolling their eyes here. Mm. But like, you know, there's clearly an inferno tie-in with mm -hmm. stolen babies, which we've reflected on already. And so the fact that magic takes Cable to Limbo to like check in on Natursh in, in his in his little isolation prison to interrogate him, it's just a it's just funny. Comics can just be funny sometimes. And I totally accept you if you're a person who thought this was a waste of pages, but I was tickled by it. And that's just that's just who I am. Tyler I think we were all tickled, I think. Yeah. We're all in the no, tickled I mean, category. It is, and it's, and it's also a nice callback to X of Swords. Like, the two of them were, like, testing uh, Iska, right? Yeah. And, like, they were, they the two this, of like, them were, like, doing this. Yeah, so, so there is this, uh, I mean, it's a nice callback to that scene. And then there is, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, if we are talking about Limbo, that's the only person that they could go to, he could go to, and, you know, who else can he go to? I mean, Richter? Hmm. Ew. <laughs> now Freya you've been reading quite a bit of magic backstory lately because you're on a real tear through like 2008 through 2012 um, how, what did you think of this scene and, and is your to kind of take us off the topic for a little bit is your co conception of or opinion of magic starting to change a little bit because you're reading so much more magic material so I don't know who these people are who doesn't like goofy side of <laughs> cable or table and I'm like who are you Get yourself checked. That's okay. Um, we, we we love them. No. Too. Freya doesn't, but <laughs> Yeah, but we do. Yeah. The rest yeah, of us re do. Yeah, the rest of them do. I don't The rest of us uh, do, not oh, yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, like hmm. Um hmm. no, I'm just saying that I if cable is gone, like you know, the series is ending, I say let's have a magic series. Yes. By doing Finally, that. do it. Like, let's do it. Because the thing is, it's actually really disheartening to see how many ex-women get uh, their own solo title and then it just goes away. Like, it's like, okay, we have Wolverine and Cable. Why? Like, you know, let's have magic. Like, you know, magic series. I love this, like, goof, like, you know, a little bit happy-go-lucky magic. Like, she has all the stuff together because I've, I'm currently reading an era where 
She was like, I don't know what X-Men thinks about the Rasputin siblings. They just put them away. Like they just like, you know, put them in jail at every given point that they get. And I, where I am in my reading right now, she's actually in a holding cell. And that's because she had dared to save herself from all the crap with Limbo that she was stuck with. And so that's one of the reasons like I'm kind of liking, I love like this magic, like where she is like, you know, unsure about like, you know, just very much together and t- teaching this teenage like you know, new mutants how to fight and everything i mean i've been talking about like what's happening with this new mutant I-, I was happy to see that at least someone out there teaching them how to fight or something <laughs> keeping them busy like i don't know something or, so, or using them as a punching bag or, or that like, i'm not you kids whenever i want <laughs> yeah i know i know that like she's just like the she's like the community big sister you know like she's just yeah. going around and getting stuff done um and i really enjoy it and i enjoyed like how she has the demon and you think that oh she's actually torturing that demon by like putting them like because from the era that I'm in right now, that would track with her. But no, mm-hmm. she's actually torturing them with bad music. <laughs> it was just so funny and so so wonderful. And just so like, it like yeah, like I, I just loved it. Like I just love that this character's just having fun. You know, she's just living life, having fun. Love it. Yeah. All the time. Let's have, let's have magic. About- miniseries no, not miniseries magic ongoing regular yeah ongoing <laughs> what about Natasha yeah. saying that please I will tell you anything you want to hear <laughs> just save me <laughs> And then you think that it's some crazy torture, right? Oh, it's not. It's yeah. just bad music. I mean, it can be torture, but it's like a really bad music. Yeah. And that's why it's like, I'll tell you anything. I don't know anything, but no, I'll tell but you anything. <laughs> have you actually heard bad recorder oh so the oh, sound yeah, is so yeah. piercing yeah it's yes, so screeching it's like know, oh my god I know. I know I know what you're talking about but I actually looked up the song and that does by uh-huh. the way you should you should listen to the song that 500 miles do you not know um, 500 miles already yeah. that, was, I that was new news to before you. this wow. yeah that was what new did you I, think? I'm not oh it's so catchy it's super catchy song. <laughs> it's stuck in my head. Like, you know, I'm not super Yeah, I mean, into, it is definitely one of these, like, destructively so... catchy songs. Yeah, well, but I mean, then playing it, it in it bad, is. bad record, like, it's... <laughs> no, but, but, uh, but it was also used really well in Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. The song. Oh, see, I'm not aware of that. Yeah, it was I really, it was done really, really, really well. I mean, it got me... Almost emotional for that for the, when they use that song, right? Yeah. Well, in the fi- I mean, now we're getting to like Crisis's song exploder, right? Because I would yeah. ha- also host the show. The interesting thing about that song is it's actually this really yearning romantic. I would walk five hundred miles, and I would mm-hmm. walk five hundred more to be the man who walked five hundred miles yeah. to fall down at your door. Yeah, that's yeah. and thousand um, miles. Right, a thousand miles in total. Sorry, and uh, but so, but it's also like silly and it's so upbeat. It's like one of these songs where like the tone of it kind of doesn't portray the the thing that it's actually saying, and that tonal inconsistency is what makes it like such a goofy bop. It almost I put it in the same category as like Breakfast at Tiffany's, where it's like wistful, but then it's silly, and the silliness and the wistfulness kind of like grinds against each other a little bit in your head. And in my mental image of these people in the recorders. She's t- she's handing a demon a recorder and playing them the song once, like for you to listen to it, and then saying, "Just try to get as close as you can get." But yeah. she's doing it for like each demon se- separately, so they're each like trying to go like ah, 
you know like trying to and and then it's just the whole cacophonous chorus of them all trying to independently zero in on the melody that's that is my version <laughs> she actually, she actually stood there for a little while like, and then listened to it, and then like, then listened to it, and then just walked out. It's like, yeah, Cyrus, you right for what you did to me. Uh, but the thing is, no, that song, that song is actually destructive in the way because the lyrics and the melody don't match up. Right, right. Because the lyrics is absolutely soul crushing. But the melody is so catchy and you're like, what is happening? So I understand why that is used in the torture of a demon. Now I just want to show where we, where after, now that we've introduced Freya to X-Men, we introduce Freya to a bunch of pop music songs that that are, that are like huge, but she hasn't heard yet. And we get to talk about them. Comment below if you want to hear when you want us to introduce Freya to more um, late 90s rock. Okay, so we come to the final. We've been talking for a while, but we've come to the final one, which is partially Cable beating the tar out of Wildside, but then partially Hope, his daughter, who's also older than him coming to confront him about like what what is this about really yeah. like Wildside doesn't know anything and and you have to think that hope is like taking her time this is her lunch break from the five right hope doesn't yeah. get out too often right no. she's like guys i i need 10 everybody yeah. take 10 and she goes out to be like cable what are you doing so what did yeah. you think about this father daughter moment of table and hope, Tyler. Well, before before that, I mean that scene of him rising from the water. Yeah, apocalypse is, now, is, right? Like, is that? I mean, when you see that scene, do you think of it as Rambo first blood, or do you think of Casino Royale? Well, it's Which such a one trope, isn't it? Originally from Apocalypse it, Now. Yeah, that's it true is. too. Yeah. Apocalypse Now too. So. But it, it also is. is funny to me because it's like Wildside is drinking from the water as yeah. one does, and Cable <laughs> is like coming out of the water, but it's not. It just doesn't. When, it's, it's so silly. Like, when did he get into the water? And, and why what is he, he been doing? Where's his son? Yeah. How long has he been under the water? Has he just had like a TK tube up yeah. to the surface that he's been breathing? And just through? waiting for a while so like, to be like, to come drink some water so that he can beat the crap out of him. He's, I, mean, just it was, shows I that... thought it was funny. Like it wasn't menacing. It was hilarious. Yeah. No, I think it just shows that how bored he is and how like how like he doesn't have any direction. He really doesn't know what to do about this whole strife situation. So he's mm. just biding his time and just going after anyone who is like, "Hey, do you know strife? Do you know strife? Anyone?" <laughs> like, you know, but this- Cable is coming to <laughs> him because he has always been part of the mutant liberation front, right. which is ran by strife. So, and and it know. definitely, it was an interesting beat that we have not gotten too much on Krakoa, and I think some fans would like if we got more, because they're surly about it, which is that Cable almost, like, inherits the opinion that past Cable would have had. He's like, well, let's go hunt down some of those MLF M- MFers, right? And he immediately yeah. goes and corners Wildside, where, like, it's supposed to be that everybody's equal on this island and everybody got yeah. a fresh start or whatever, but, like, as soon as the chips are down and something's wrong... Cable's gonna go beat up somebody from the MLF, which is an interesting beat that we haven't seen too much in this Krakoan, you know, era. Where like immediately, let's go and distrust this villain as soon as things get tough. We've seen it with mm. Omega Red. I don't feel like we've seen it too many other places. Well, mm. we did see the Marauders uh, confront um, uh, Great Crow right in the True. beginning of Howlins. True. So there's one one beat there. Yeah. So I mean, and, and is... for a similar way, right? Like you were part of this historical marauders that went around and killed mm-hmm. people. Like that, you can't. Yeah. You see that some of the mutants like can't give up this past because they they were really hurt by these people, and some of these people yeah. were like genocidal maniacs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm reading some of those, and yeah, justifiably so. 
<laughs> like you know, <laughs> let's let's not forgive Vanisher just yet. Like yeah. mm, I I read that too. And yeah. while we're at it, let's not forgive Cyclops either. Boom Boom, Hellion, and Pixie. I read that I too. Know. Recently, well, okay. I, at, at the risk of us just go spiraling out here, hope, the hope conversation. Yeah. Is there anything to say about this conversation with hope? Faria is also reading hope right now. I am. I, that's what I was like. I was like, oh damn! I wish like I, I wish this came, I wish this came out like a little later because I'm currently in the Messiah War era. Mm. Like you know, that's where I am right now. So I'm like, well, damn. You know, like this is this yeah. is the whole time that they're running around. You know, he's running around with hope and all that. Uh, but yeah, I think I think like the con- even though that I know that their relationship and all from that point of view, it's like oh, that's kind of interesting that now he's younger than her, and then there's like a, there's a little bit of dynamic shift in the relationship. Um, but I think it was more um, interesting to see like we now got a little bit more in the resurrection protocol. Like there is more like you know more lore got attached to it about like what to do with the duplicates. A problem only X Men has. Like no one else has that problem. Only X Men has this problem. It's like we. <laughs> We have clones we have people that are different timeline yeah we're not gonna bring any of them back well yeah gabby will have something to say about that it actually says clone yeah. very specifically like you know so which is like hmm hmm but yo esma is okay because their mom is in the quiet council it has to do with their like powers, the cuckoos are so okay fine. yeah yeah, right. yeah cuckoos are okay though you know because mom's in uh, quiet council so i, mean, I, I thought that was I feel interesting like- I feel like this beat has been playing in many different books right now. I I mean, I think it might be one of the things that might come up in the gala. Mm, so this whole thing about the dupes and, you know, the alternate universe person, whatever, you know, that kind of thing. But um, yeah, but back, back to this. I mean, I kind of like the role reversal here where mm. Hope is a little bit more experienced and... Hope's experience is learned from a future older cable, and he's like trying to t- trying to you know mash. It's it's well I don't know it's timey wimey you know it's kind of a mess. Timey wimey, they were involved yeah. in that. Yeah, but it's, it's I I mean I like it, and truthfully though I actually forgot about the relationship between Cable and Hope until Hope came on. I was like, oh yeah, of course you can't do a goodbye tour without saying goodbye to hope and we talked about a little bit in sword last week this idea of like who is hope's parental figure when cable Mm. is a teen you know because it came up that's true you could i mean it's interesting to think about if we should read this as happening before or after those sword issues because it's like where does king and black fit in because Mm -hmm. this this whole we need the other guy back beat i think plays a little bit differently if it comes after also cable's failure to adequately defend the island and in fact becoming yeah. a, a vessel of the enemy yeah. in King of Black. But that's what I thought no, though. I agree. That's what I thought that this is coming directly after Sword 4 because the way he is like, mm-hmm. he's like really unsettled right now. I think like it has to. I think we've got to read that there was a break after the last issue yeah. and that he's like enjoying a little breather with Cyclops on the yacht with Emma after all of that. Like I, I think we could probably assume King and Black happened between these two issues of Cable. I, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's and... so many different things that happens and be, unless a character mentions something, it's, t- it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult, especially after uh, X of Source, like to um, to place them in any order. Yeah. But um, 
I think it is a fair assumption to put this after Sword 4. That is like this this whole thing happens after King in Black, you know, after Cyclops got nullified and things like that. So, yeah. So final oh, yeah. round here on that hope conversation. I mean, it ends on this beat. We both need the other guy back. Do they? Do we? Mm-mm. No. No? Mm-mm. No. <laughs> I want I want table. I want table. Yeah, I, I kind of want to keep table. Up. I, yep. I can't believe yeah. I'm saying this after the past three years, but right. I kind of want to keep him around. When he first yeah. appeared in Decimation, I was like, why? Why do we need another young Cable to who who acts the same way as old Cable? But when this series starts, like, it is very obvious that this thing, you know, table is different from, you know, Oboe or whatever you call it. <laughs> 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 but, and here's the thing. I think that to insert I mean I like Oak, Old Cable you know I'm a 90s yeah. fan I have a lot of affinity for him mm-hmm. but I think to insert him into this Krakoan status quo doesn't add anything he's this very like ends justify the means hunter mm. dude and we're getting that from the Wolverine book it makes him older than Scott say. again which kind of like undermines some of the Scott aspects of him being a leader oh, that's and saying, good hey, then. I'm gonna lead the X-Men now but like, but then what? Like, should Cable be on the Quiet Council? Like, and then Cable has even more history with Apocalypse than the Team Cable does. It just feels like Team mm-hmm. Cable gives us so many more moments. It gives us more somebody else for people to mentor. It lets Cyclops be a dad. It lets Rachel be a big sister. It just feels like Team Cable gives us more for other characters to do. Plus, with Old Cable, like, what are you gonna do with him romantically? Like, you but then he gets like roped in with Domino again. Again. Like, it just it just really mm-hmm. feels like there's less story possibilities with Old Cable. And I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong occasional as it may be and i think i was wrong to be upset to take old cable off the board i think there's yeah. more storytelling possibilities with young cable but it depends on which cable i mean yeah it's definitely older cable but at which point are they plucking him back right maybe not as right. elderly who knows yeah so you know i mean but then you know the way he's drawn in <laughs> in the book here he does look a little bit on the older side <laughs> so i was just wondering like at which point because um from the conversation, it really seems to imply that, yeah, old Cable is dead now. But he's a time traveler. We can pluck him back from any time period, you know, that we anytime can find him. Anytime we back him up. Anytime he yeah, crossed we can find him. Whatever yeah. we can find him, right? So I can jump to this time stream knowing that he's going to be there and then bring him back. Oh, and just bring a live one. The... Like not even yeah. have to use the resurrection protocol. Yeah, so not even have to use that, I think. Yeah. Well, we'll see. And I mean, what? we have three issues what? left to see if he comes back temporarily. Maybe they just need him to resolve the strike thing or yeah. permanently. Why not just have both of them around? Maybe. That could be Maybe. where we're going, too. Yeah. Why not have Jean and Madeline Pryor? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that I agree with. Girl got <laughs> okay. really bad. Like, And then just yeah, messed up the whole, like, Jean, uh, Emma... Let's make it a pentagram. Like, make it a pen. Yeah, yeah and, make it a and pentagram. Then you have Alex. Like, how do you? Know? And you have oh yeah, Alex. that too. All right. Well, before oh, we get into wow, any okay. more geometry, I have to say that that's the end. For Excalibur number nineteen, as we always do, we will begin with our lightning round of reactions before we dig more deeply into the thematic and plot elements of this book. So, Tyler, what was your reaction to Excalibur number nineteen? I mean, there were a couple of skips in the stories and then lips of logic that got amplified when this story is actually spaced out across four months. So I feel like if all four post-X um, of Swords Excalibur issues were like wrapped together as one arc, it would read, you know, maybe quite differently. 
that said, even the good um, art by Toh did not quite lift this issue from being just mediocre. So I give it a three hangry drew it out of five. <laughs> Free hot. So we talked about last time that um, just like period, Excalibur is something that happens to me at, like at least for me, a month, once a month. For you guys, it just <laughs> happens a month. For me, it's like one of those things, too constant, Excalibur and periods. <laughs> um, but... So, and I have been thinking since X of Swords, why this issue, this series exists? What are we trying to learn from it? What are we doing with it? Because the whole point was getting Betsy back, the 616 Betsy back. Mm -hmm. And finally it happened. <laughs> so I was kind of, I really liked that part. I also liked the part that all the things with Sila, Quanon, and uh, Betsy and everything that I only know from being here, like talking to talk, you guys talking about it and telling me about this. And I kind of liked that there was, for the first time I felt like, because there was so many X-Men stories where the women are going against each other or the women are pitted against each other because of the action of men. Like it just feels like that. And then now I feel like finally these two women kind of, like at least Quanon just decided to help her out. And there was like a lot of a good moment by that and i really enjoyed that but did we need it all four issue to get here nah so i don't know where that leaves me so on an issue level i really liked it but when you put it on the overall uh, yeah <laughs> well we're definitely going to get into that idea of how this resolves each of the cliffhangers of each of the prior three issues so i don't want to get mm -hmm. too much into that in my yeah. reaction um i think that this was a I think this was a bad comic book mm. uh, because I think that Teeny Howard has built up this really interesting plot about Rachel, about the Captain Britain Corps and what they represent and how they may or may not have changed uh, about Otherworld, about them reinstalling Saturnine and Otherworld. And it all feels like it comes to partially a crux here and it's just a drop ball. I mean, we get... It's just a plot that goes nowhere. Like, plants need to be scared, so we shatter a lantern. I mean, we're going to get into all of this stuff, but it just feels like there was so much room in this issue to take all three of those cliffhangers and just do something more meaningful, more portentous, more symbolic, and instead it's just confused. Like, it really, to me, felt like it needed a plot assist. And it doesn't, I don't think that takes away from any of the feelings that anybody's having about it. I think the resolve that it gives to Quanon and, and Betsy, I think is still a positive thing. But I think purely on an execution of the story on the page level, that this issue is just like a full on failure for me. So with that in the air, now before, we're going to talk. No, before Tyler? we go into, no, before we go into the issue itself, proper itself. I just want to say that I really love the uh, Asra cover for this issue. The colors and the two characters, even though Quanan doesn't look quite Asian, but um, you know, I, I just love this mm. the the way it's being framed and how um the yellow and the and, and the purplish, almost pink color there. Yeah, it's very striking. I mean we all know that I'm, I'm easy to fix. please with pink on a cover. Yeah. <laughs> If only that yeah, level this, of interesting conflict was reflected today. in the issue. <laughs> so it's, I'm wearing purple today because of uh, Salak and Betsy. So 
uh, let's talk about how this continues from the last three issues. Because each of the last three issues, we came back after them and we're like, what happened with that? And this does finally tie all three of them together. So three issues ago, hold on, I've got them all lined up here on my computer so I can actually refer to them one by one. So in issue number 16, it's right after X of Swords. They're like, where's Betsy? Where's Betsy? It ends with the ritual in the other world with the Captain Britons where they're like, well, we didn't mean to summon you, but can you help us? And then it kind of yep. felt like that was a drop plot beat. Mm-hmm. Then in issue number 17, it was the issue where we see what Betsy's experiencing as she takes the place of the Queen of England, Betsy. And that was really interesting. And we really liked that one. And mm-hmm. at the end, mm-hmm. she goes through the portal and it's, it lets us think that maybe she's just bopping right back into her own body. But there's something else going on there and we don't really understand. And then there is issue 18, which has them with this body who's also kind of hustling around and doing stuff. And it turns out that this is the body that Jamie made and that Quantum KO'd because it was inhabited, as we find out at the end of this issue, by Malice. Mm-hmm. So, so here's the question. I only know Malice from Black Malice? Panther. <laughs> No, I only know Malice from Black Panther. Like, Nakia character, she becomes Malice. That's her code. Is that... Who I is... don't remember if it's the same Malice or not. No, no but it's this, not. No, it's this someone Malice else. has no body. Yeah, this is Mutant Malice. She's just a yeah, disembodied mean girl. Yeah. She basically um, take over the body of, like... Um, the first person I think she ever took over was... Um, is that um, Polaris? I mean, I mean she's the in, longest. Well, she, I mean, no, she's no, no. in Dazzler for a while. She's yeah, in Polaris yeah, 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 for a yeah, yeah, while. Yeah. Uh, she, another, no, she was okay. in Polaris. She was in Polaris for a long time because Sinister purposely put them together. Yeah. Because Polaris' powers disrupt her so that she can't really leave. So, so there was this whole long stretch of uncanny x-men reference here and there where polaris was inhabited by Mads. another another example of x-women having to fight each other because of action of men i just present that over there but okay so this is not because i only know malice from black panther right like that's right. like you know so this is not i mean uh, yeah okay gotcha carry on so part of me did think it was clever because you know uh, we talk a lot about how people demand instant satisfaction in modern comics mm-hmm us included, and here we were for three issues running, demanding satisfaction, whereas if you read, especially that original era where Malice is bouncing around the two tens of Uncanny X-Men, Claremont is not rewarding anything in an issue. Like, Uh -uh. he's doing these little one and two issue stories, and it takes a while for them to all get tied together, and to Howard's credit, I do think she kind of did this here. She baited and switched just a little bit. She made it feel like there were these three one-shots. I think it was cool that they all stood alone and you didn't really need to have read the prior issue. And mm-hmm. then this issue is resolving all three of those issues. And I think that's clever. And so before I get into the structural problems of this issue itself, that at least I observed, I have to say, credit words do, I, I, I like it and maybe we could have been a little bit more patient. I don't know. What are your reactions said? Did you feel like this rewarded you enough to make up for our feelings about of dissatisfaction the last two times we came back to Excalibur? I mean, I like it. I I, I, I don't think this is a great issue by any means. Um, I mean, I certainly, I certainly liked the fact that um, like Howard did not like forget about those things or, you know, it, it didn't, or, or certain things happens off panel and just like, you know, one word balloon mention and we are done with it. You know, we, we actually spent some time um, to see how the Captain Britain Corp tried to get that Z616 back. And then, you know, I mean, we, we, we did spend some time. The the, the, the problem, as you um, implied in 
I think past maybe several episodes of Excalibur is that Excalibur here this this particular group as Excalibur is not magical in any way, so it feels very. I mean, I it is really um what do you call you you're trying to force you know a a a cylindrical into a square hole or something you know and it and it doesn't be. fit very well. Oh, or maybe the other way. <laughs> a cube. You're trying to fit a cube into a hole <laughs> that is smaller. <laughs> um, yeah, so, 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 I mean, but, but what I really like is like the little, little bit of like callback. For example, Earth 13059 is the fantasy one with the evil uh, savior it, that, that first appeared in Extreme X Men. Oh, I did and not I like Extreme that. And X- I love Extreme X Men. Yeah, I love Extreme X Men, and that I think that was the arc where Hercules and Howard um, was shown to kiss on panel after they slain the dragon. Yes, yeah. yeah, Freya, do not miss Extreme X Men in your read. It starts. Uh, I'm, right, I'm writing down. Writing down. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 second Extreme X Men. The first Extreme X Men is by Claremont. Yes, yeah, by the Greg second Pack. Extreme X Men is by Greg Pack. So we are talking about the second one. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And notes. I also like the callback that, you know, Howard is using. Like, I have not seen the focus totality, that two words to describe Bessie's uh, power for a long, long time. Like, for for a while, Claremont has always used this whenever <laughs> Psylocke, uh, you know, manifests her, her psychic knife. He, she, he, would oh, say, okay. he would say like, "Oh, this is yeah, the focus that is totality. the focus totality, totality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and it's being used here like slightly differently on you know Earth one three zero five nine Psylocke. So, I, I mean, I love the little bit of callback here and there. So, as much as I loved the character, like you know, ladies help each other out at the end and all of that. Mm-hmm. Even though at the beginning we see the ladies not helping each other out. Um, I was a little my one of my complaint was though is like the Betsy that we see at the end that's uh, mm-hmm. Quanon is like come back and it's like no I don't want to go but we saw that one issue where she was trying to come back like you know she had that she was in England she got like you know she got into that other world and then mm-hmm. um, Angel got like you know the Warren got all uh, like yeah, you know, sexy the Queen with Elizabeth her. three yeah like all of that so why she's having this back, like, you know, having this, no, I don't want to come back, or I'm not, I, what happened there? So uh, that, I was like, okay, I don't know yeah. where that come from. Yeah, and mm. that was, I mean, we, we can get into the whole sequence of it, but that was one of my big problems with it, is like, it didn't, it felt fabricated. Like, it felt like we just yeah. needed this thing, this conflict for Quanon to overcome to get her back, because comics need conflict. So let's have this conflict where she's like, no, I won't go back to my body. And then let's have Quanon, who I think, look, I think there's one fair beat here, which is that Quanon and Psylocke didn't ask to be put into that situation. And both and Psylocke's, uh, Betsy as Psylocke certainly has benefited from it many times over yeah. in a way that has harmed Quanon. But there was not necessarily ill intent at the beginning of it. And so I think that it's fair for them to be like, look, at a point, neither of us were at fault. But at the mm-hmm. same time, to like end this whole reckoning with 
Quanon, the, you know, the woman who had her body stolen and appropriated, having to invite Betsy into her psych to bring her back to her body. Like, I know it's supposed to feel redemptive, but it rubbed me real strange. It just struck me as really weird, especially as combined with this weird beat of Betsy not wanting to go back. It almost felt like it would have worked better if Betsy's like, I really want to go back, but I can't figure out how to get through. And and Quanon would have said, you can come in this one time, but only because I'm inviting you. That would have made so much more sense. I don't know. Am I yeah. just being pure? I mean, that's Am I being thing. I a don't... weird stickler or was something missing? No. Well, that's... I... That, that, no, I was just going to say, though, it's like, because maybe I don't know, like, I don't know one of, or any of their history and stuff, so I didn't actually see, see it this way. But what you just said is like, I wish there was like, I want to come back, but I can't. Like, you know, because of something is holding me back because and it could be that Saturdine has put something out there that is stopping her. I thought that that would have been more interesting versus, oh, I don't want to go. Why? You just two issues ago, you wanted to. I feel like I tried to do it for a second with the whole like I failed and Quan is like, oh, no, you didn't fail. The core back together, whatever. But like that didn't even make sense. Because she knows that. No, no, she... Uh, I after this I went back to look at those issues and it did happen I mean she had a vision like she mentioned here there was one page where she saw the different uh, Betsy as Captain Britain and mm. that's that's all like throughout the whole issue um, I think 17 when she was in the Queen Elizabeth III body mm-hmm. um, Angel and that version of Quanon did not tell her that right, she's they Captain very Britain. deliberately don't tell yeah, her what's happening because that's not. part of the yeah. rules yeah so they did not tell her that she's Captain Britain she did not she did not know that um, all the Betsy's in multiverse have become the Captain Britain core so so that part tracks but I agree she was trying to get back to her body at the end of 17 right. so why right. the sudden change of mind here yeah. when Just... you know when she was captured by, I mean, when her, her, her psychic was like, you know, um, captured by all the different uh, Captain Britons. Like, I mean, at that point, wouldn't she know that the Captain Britain Corps has been reformed? Right. Yeah, I mean, and I these, these are just, this is what I mean. It's not like, it wasn't mm. like it was just a terrible issue and every word balloon was bad mm-hmm. and every, it's just that so many things didn't quite match up that it made yeah. it impossible for me to just like enjoy read. But let's pause mm-hmm. the Betsy dialogue for a second. Okay. To talk about the only other thing that really happens in this issue, which is Richter being terrible at magic. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Any introduction I give it is just going to sound like I'm beating up in the issue. Cause I just, I, yeah. But Richter, <laughs> talk about it. We, so look, we all know Richter pretty well. We've all read yeah. runs with Richter in them. Yeah. Does this work for you? Richter has never been associated with magic ever. Yeah. And this is me saying that. Like, you know, it just, it, that's not his thing. He's never been no. that. So why is and, he and, being forced into this? There's other magical but, creature in Krakoa. I, and also, like, within this cast, isn't, like, Gloriana the better choice to try and do something? Because she's magical and she's a mutant. So if we are talking about mutant magic, you know, she would be a good fit. And who trained under the Sorcerer Supreme? Magic. Magic. Yeah. Exactly. Magic. So so there's there's a little bit of um I mean, there's something really 
off here with Richter. And I feel like it's because the relationship between Apocalypse and Richter were not given any sort of like on panel, um, you know, mention or we, we, we have not been shown that Apocalypse actually took Richter under the wing and taught him something. We mm-hmm. saw that the druids, uh, you know, that lives like right in the grounds, in the forest around the lighthouse, sort of like, oh, say that, okay, you are one of us, you know. And wouldn't it kind of make sense to reach out to them too? Because, you know, they are druids. So, and you are kind of like just becoming one. So, so-, so I don't know. So to to give Howard benefit of doubt, I feel like she like you know she was settled with this character, and then it's like okay, what mm. else I can do other than make him incomp like you know incompetent in magic and try make him learn magic and stuff like that. Mm. So I don't know whether it feels like because I don't know what what went on in the X office, like how the teams were being formed, like you know with the yeah. initial because this is one of the original uh, series. So I feel like it's like oh you get Richter because we need to do something with Richter. It's like okay, this is what we are doing well, with I, Richter. I'm, I got to sharpen the knives a little bit here because I've got some mm. I got some feelings about this now that now Tell that I know that feelings. I'm not alone in finding that this is a little. No, so, this is t- Richter. <laughs> Sing us your feelings. <laughs> yeah, tell us. So look, Richter is originally feeling. introduced in early X Factor by Louis mm. Simonson, and he's a, a captive of the Right, who it turns out are agents of Cameron Hodge, and he's yeah. being used to kind of like punish his town, and they're using his powers against the town. And there's this really, really strong beat that's ongoing in his early issues of like the torture of him and the appropriation of him and his powers was so bad that he'll do anything to get away from it. If he has to kill somebody, he'll kill somebody. If he has to kill himself, he'll kill himself. But he's never going to be used like that again. So this character is is absolutely rooted in that. Now, whether or not you want to say that's a positive or a negative to, you know, take this person, this non-white character, and say, you know, that his whole character is framed in being used as a weapon against his own community and, and that he he's potentially suicidal... I'm not passing a value judgment on that, nor am I saying that it always has to be his plot beat. I'm just saying, let's reflect on where he began. Then, of course, Richter's other big plot beat is that he is comes out as a gay man and he has a long-standing relationship. And that mo- even though that had been teased for years in X-Force, it it's actually happens in Peter David's X-Factor, right? Mm-hmm. So that's who we've got. So here's this Richter, and we do get his depression um, and his inability. And also, he moves crap. He's connected to the Earth, right? So... We get that at the beginning of Excalibur with how depressed he is and he won't leave his house and he's afraid to touch Mm -hmm. the earth. And that tracks. But then nothing else about how he's been used connects to his old character at all. It's almost like we were supposed to just start thinking of him as this totally new person there. And it's like, well, now he's into magic whatever. And even after Excalibur 12, where his magic is fundamentally shown to be connected to the earth and his ability to use the earth and manipulate the earth and travel through the earth, Howard has like dropped that poppy entirely. And here we get him saying, I starved myself to do this. Starve yourself to do what? Bring Betsy back to her body. We're so many degrees separated from who he is, what his powers are, and what his journey is now, that he's just become this tool to get to do this Betsy plot with. And the final thing I'll put onto that is T. Howard really likes writing um, 
Wiccan, Billy and and Teddy and Hulkling. And she mm-hmm. wrote them a little bit in her Strike Force. And I think she also wrote them in Death's Head, her miniseries. And I love Death's Head. But they're very much now in this kind of empire space and they're not available to Teeny Howard. And honestly, to me, it kind of just feels like she went eeny, meeny, miny, mo and picked Richter as a gay male mutant that she could just do her Billy Wiccan plots on and it doesn't even matter who Richter was. That's how I, maybe that's evil. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but that is really what it feels like to me in this episode, in this episode, this issue. It feels like a failed attempt to just use Richter to be Wiccan. Hmm. Rant over. Am I like way off? I don't know. Uh... I mean, my my first introduction to Richter was when he lost his power and yeah, he lost his power. And he's going to kill himself again. Yeah, he's going to jump from the mm. building and Jamie's yeah. like dude please don't do this like you know come work for us don't do this but That's does this how... feel like your Richter that you know <sighs> I don't know because that's one of the problem with Richter was in X Factor that he could never figure out who he is and he okay, could never figure fair. out like you know because he lost his power and then he's like he lost his entire identity and then he wasn't like oh, what I'm gonna do because I I only knew myself as mutant and then Jamie kind of tried to trigger him like you know constantly bringing oh you mean like Shatterstar like you know just bringing <laughs> dropping his name left right and center and he's going poo and then there's this whole thing with Rain that he had mm. like you know he was trying to beginning. yeah which I I mean I I I guess like a lot of queer people go through that. It's like, maybe I'm straight. Maybe I should try this. And as if Rain doesn't have enough on her own to deal yeah. with. And then he, there was that. And then Shatterstar came back. When Shatterstar came back, his whole thing was, oh my God, just grab him and kiss him. Because he finally realized I'm going to be out. I'm going to be proud. And this is who I am. And that's where we left him in X Factor. And I didn't read him anything after that. And then when we first come here, he's depressed again. He forgot about Shatterstar. He's like, you know, and now he's a magical vessel. So he's probably trying to find another identity of himself. I guess that, I mean, that's fair. It's very consistent that Richter's always looking for some like mm-hmm. external thing that he can make internal to define right. himself with. But it just feels like, I just wish more of that would get connected. Like connect this to him feeling like, I'm using this to solve my need to be useful. Connect this to his identity. Can I, it just feels like really separate to me right now. Tyler, I don't know. If... What, what, how do you feel about that? I mean, the before we started recording, like, you know, uh, X of Swords, I remember that um, when I was writing those re- my review um, for Excalibur, I, I, I said that Richter is... Okay, I said something along the line that I don't like um, characters being used for plot convenience. Mm. So, like, you know, we had, I think, before X of Swords, two scenes of Richter just basically stumbling upon something. He's like, oh, I can't sleep at night. So I start walking in the garden. And then I saw this thing. And then exposition happens. I was like, "Um, I'm not a fan of that. Because that means it doesn't work. Because you don't know how to place this story beat into the into your plot, and then you just came up with an idea that oh, Richter can sleep, so he walk he woke up in the middle of the night and he started walking in the garden, and then he stumbled upon this ritual, and then the ritual oh the druid tells him everything. I was like, oh. isn't that what Claremont <laughs> does in every issue? No. <laughs> 
Well, we tune into our Epic different... X-Men reread for the end I of that. I disagree. Uh, so look, I, so that, there's our there's our Richter chat. Like, I, if yeah. you're a big Richter fan who's watching or listening, I'm definitely interested in your opinion. I know there's people out there who who's much higher on their list even than mine, but I feel like I've been reading him for decades now. And I it just really frustrates me. And I think for what the reason Tyler said, like, it just feels like he's here as this plot contrivance. And it doesn't even feel like richter to me but speaking of plot before 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 oh. we go move on from richter one do you think that richter would have been better as black tom is in x-force like as much as we love tickle, tickled black tom but the thing is like because his power is all about earth and connecting and then you know so from that point of view if you think maybe, about it. Or maybe we just need more yeah. of that in the magic. Like, get off this, mm-hmm. like, spellbook nonsense. How many data pages do I freaking need that are pages from this stupid spellbook? Have, have, just have Richter be like, I know the spellbook says this, but something feels wrong to me. I'm, and, like, let him, let's see him with his hand on the earth and yeah. be like, Rogue, go over there. That, to mm-hmm. me, would read so much more effectively than this constant grimoire nonsense it's get i'm getting to like my hickman rage point every time the grimoire comes back like i'm because, getting hulky <laughs> no because and to be fair howard was doing that right because remember he was trying to do something on the ground yes to, in krakoa and, and i was thing. starting to care yeah so but then so, that ball was dropped well and All then right. and then he went he went to apocalypse lab and he's yeah. like oh now i got a book so now i know i, I i'm gonna use that book yeah. And I'm going to be yeah. hangry. I'm so hungry. I fasted and I'm nothing I'm starving worked. myself to bring Betsy a character I have no relationship back. Uh, so, <laughs> so look, speaking of plot contrivance, I'm sorry, listeners. This is sometimes you just get this, this version. So let's just try to, let's just try to track the Betsy journey here. We've talked about it a little bit, but so yeah. Betsy pops is popping through realities. The Captain Britons contain her. They have her in this, they have her in hand. They bring her to Saturnine. Saturnine's like, F that noise. I don't even like this Captain Britain. And and the Captain Britons are like, but if you just let her walk through the normal otherworld dimensional portal to Earth, she will just reconstitute because we have her true soul. And Saturnine's like, talk to the hand. So then they bring the lantern back through a gate because I guess many of them are mutants and they can. And they give it to the Excalibur team. But since it didn't go through the other world gate, she doesn't just get her body back, which is fine because they have the body that Malice was in. So they're trying to do a ritual, but Richter can't get it right. Or is it that Betsy doesn't want to go back in? And so Quanon knows something about raising plants. And so she says house plants are not scared enough to grow if it's not windy. So she shatters the lantern so Betsy goes back through the gate into Otherworld where Quantum has to chase her but won't take anybody else with her because she's connected to Betsy. Fair enough. She goes into this fey village in the Otherworld and goes down a well that Quantum has to also go down. It's threatening the whole village but then the well turns into a metaphor for her psyche where then they have, then have it out with the whole thing that we've covered already where Silek doesn't want to, or Betsy doesn't want to come back and then Quantum has to put her in her brain by force to carry her back and once they get her, Heimlich, the malice choke her out of her she is back in her body and everything's fine here's my question did we need all of those steps did we have to throw timmy down the well like it just feels like there was maybe one too many steps in this progression that i had to actually outline it i don't know me again just me i mean it it is a very long sequence to to get back um to be fair I kind of um, I appreciate the the fact that um, Betsy and Quanon didn't just simply got into a fight. 
yeah. or you know a, a a mutual guilt trip of like oh I'm so sorry I didn't you know I I inhabited your body I took up so much of your life that kind of thing I, I mean I kind of like that they didn't do that mm. and I kind of like that they came to a reconciliation that says hey you know shit happens to us and was done well you know what was done to us so we we both need to get past it and let's try to get past it you know by please going back to your body first freya bring us home here i mean tyler and i we're also connected because we shared bodies once maybe that's why he could actually <laughs> took whatever everything i was thinking and then said it because that's the only thing i liked about this because at least like and no one called each other the b word or no. the w word or any name calling there was no name calling done and two ladies said look we kind of gotten into a situation that we were not interested like not involved in and didn't want it and now let's put it back together however yeah. is this the way i wanted Bet- betsy to be found no I wanted a multiverse reality travel ways like the team goes and tries the to find a musical chair, musical, ch- musical body, and then they're always and they're always a little bit late because mm. I thought that's what it was when we first like post X of Swords, right? Yeah. Like I thought that's where it was going. It didn't happen. We got this. I mean, okay, sure. <laughs> Well, and I think we can end the discussion there on on one positive note. Like, mm-hmm. even if you don't love all the execution, even if there are definitely some other issues here uh, that we didn't even get a chance to dig into, such as some interest issues around colonialization, which people are finally starting to write about, which I'm really happy to see because I'm not necessarily the right voice for that. Um, I think hopefully as X-Men fans, we can agree, hey, at least maybe we have a decent resolve to this Betsy and Quanon thing and they can just go on being their characters without this hanging over them, this sort of Damocles mm. of like, ooh, are we going to get another confrontation between Betsy and Quanon? Because to Free's point, like, do we need the woman to fight again and again and again? Why can't they just say the things that Freya said? So if I can take a positive away from this, it's like, great, let's move on to something new, which is tracking down Malice. It's an interesting yeah. beat. She can be in anybody's body. It's kind of like another Shadow King beat. It really brings together this idea that there's a couple of specific problems plaguing the island right now. It's these, you know, people going around and doing psychic influences, how clones are going to be treated, what happens when, you know, this is all spread across X-Force, it's spread across this, it's spread across S.W.O.R.D., it's spread across X-Factor, and it really feels like maybe the gala might bring some of that to a head. Mm -hmm. I feel like the malice thing is Sinister trying to get back to Jamie. You think for smelling yeah, up his cake? I think he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to make a clone, but I'm going to do mess it up for you by putting malice into it. So, oh, so you think he planted malice in yeah, the in the body? That's what I think. Is, that is, is see, we ended with a good theory here. But, I'm into that. Oh, 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 yeah, I mean, I'm into that because, too from the from the story point of view. But sinister yeah. should really stop messing with the lady ex ladies. Like that's. His yeah. entire no. character beats, I absolutely hate that. Be- because Malice is one of the Marauders. So, and we all know that Sinister has like a farm of like Marauders, even though, you know, Hellless destroy his um his orphanage. But right, I'm right. sure he has it somewhere. So, so yeah, I think he's, he's just trying to get back at Jamie by saying, oh, you want a clone of your sister? Sure. Let's <laughs> so create how- a husk and then plant so it. So how, how did he convince Malice to get in there? He didn't. He basically forced the choker in into into the into into the husk. I think malice. Okay, at this point, I think we do 
we do not know where Malice is, but I think Malice has always appears um, with the choker, right? So it's usually the sense, sign that she's possessed somebody, like almost yeah. like it's a cursed object, but it's in a yeah. way also kind of the manifestation of her power that it like physically manifests on somebody once she takes them yeah. over. No, thank so God it's like... a choker, not an underwear. That would have been awkward. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. So look, I'm, uh, I, I try to always maintain a good old PMA, positive mental attitude about these books. Just because I didn't like this issue doesn't mean the next issue I'm not going to like. It's uh, Malice. Rogue has a history with this character. Mm-hmm. Betsy is in history with this character. Yeah. Maybe we're going to go somewhere really fun. And that's my hope. Well, in addition to reading just two X-Men titles this week, Tyler got a little farther around the Marvel Universe than I did. I'm still catching up on last week, which is a result of the week before having problems with mixing. It's a whole domino effect. But Tyler's ready. And so Tyler (laughs) did discover some mutants. I actually discovered a mutant from last week that we didn't talk about, which was that Sunspot turned up in Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number three by Larry Hama. And in a really clever way, it's not just like a random use of him. He actually makes a point of saying like he came back through a gate and then through another gate because he wanted to get to (laughs) Rio de Janeiro because there's this dragon attack in the city and it's his city and nobody's going to do that on his watch. But boy, is he tired coming from space. And then him and Luke Cage have this really fun moment where you have to wonder, has Sunspot ever been on panel with Luke Cage before and so he's like oh so your skin's unbreakable huh and it's just like really <laughs> genuinely funny and and uh, I think his name is Dave Watcher who draws that comic is phenomenal shades of Al- uh, Albert Koipel really really beautiful so that was fun and that was from last week but now Tyler found one this week too yeah I mean I I um because um Jerry Dugan wrote Savage Avengers and Ooh. I think he mentioned in his Twitter it's like oh you know, two of my books are coming out this week. So I happened to, so I just went, wanted to take a look at it because I know that last issue, which is I think Savage Avengers 18, um, which is also a king in Black Titan, um, Conan, Deadpool, and one other guy was trying to uh, steal money from the Hellfire Club. Right, which we covered, so, yeah. Yeah. So in this issue, there's sort of a continuation of Marauders, uh, King in Black Marauders, where Iceman, Bishop, and Callisto basically intercepted the three of them stealing money. And then the six of them decided to go and um, try and rescue the nullified Scott and Storm. So we do get quite a bit of X-Men in this issue. And it is written by uh, Dugan. So the characteristics are tracks. So they they sort of hinted that they just came from the Marauders boat and took a detour. Um, I can't remember if they what 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 the exact conversation was, but yeah, so so there was a bit of continuation. And I think at one point it specifically says this happens after Marauders, King and Black Marauders. Cool. Well oh, now I really yeah. want to nice. put that top of pole. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our discussion of this week's X-Men books. Taking a look forward to next week, uh, X-Men 19 is on the schedule for next week, which is the second part of the Children of the Vault. Uh, and No? Third. Well, third, right. And then also X-Men yeah. Legends number two, our throwback story that is covering Adam X the Extreme and if he is in <laughs> fact a Summer's brother or not. So that will be what we're what's on the schedule next week, plus anything else that comes up. As always, the whole reason we get together and do this is why, Fariha? X-Men is better when it's read together. 
That's right. And I think this week really illustrates that in an interesting way in that we had one issue that we all agreed we felt kind of sad and wistful about. Uh, and we got to express that with each other and have some really fun nostalgia and chats and laughs. And one issue that we felt mixed about, I certainly was negative about, and I just got so much more from getting to talk about it in the round than I got just stewing on it. And that to me is the real representation of X-Men is better when it's read together. And it's comics too. Like you can get so much more than the price of admission of just reading the issue once, twice. How long is that going to take you? Six minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes? Was it worth $4, right? But we get together, and for that $4, we get this whole week of entertainment. We get to talk to each other. We get to see your comments. Uh, and then you get to experience this conversation, having read the issue to yourself. And that's, it just makes it all more worthwhile, in my opinion. I don't know, do you feel, I mean, I know I'm the one who usually does the wrap-up chat. Do you, do you feel that way, or is this just the thing that I say every episode? No, it's not the thing that you just say every episode. I mean, it does make my comics reading um, more than just a um, individual or a solo event because I'll be reading it and I'll be like, oh, Peter would have hated this or Peter <laughs> would have definitely mentioned this. And then, you know, of course, like, oh, I should ask Farihao what she thinks about this thing, this story beat. You know, like, you know, does she like it? You know, does it, um, does it, you know, does she know who we are talking about? Like, you know, now that she's no longer a new mutant, she's mm. like, uh, mm. she's X Force now. <laughs> yeah, yes. eventually she'll be ecstatics. <laughs> I'm prom I'm slowly promoting myself. No, I mean it's it's absolutely true. I look forward to Wednesday, like you know, forward to Thursdays because you know we do this on Thursday, and I kind of read the books on Thursdays too. <laughs> so and I I look like it's just a. Like it's to me, it's a it's a regular thing, and in the meantime, I'm also reading all this X uh, like an you know, X Men books and everything, and then I I keep on going. Oh, I know that, or like oh, I have to ask Peter and Tanner about this. So it's mm. just brings so much joy, so much joy. Mm -hmm. So yes, and, and the cap that I put on that too is you know I read with a very critical eye. Some would say maybe way 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 too critical, but this gives me a different reason to be reading because I absolutely will take screenshots of things that I'm waiting to put into the group chat with you all <laughs> because I know Free is going to think it's funny or I know Harry is going to clown on it or I know Tyler is going to be able to explain it to me better than I understand it myself and like that's a that's a whole other layer of my read. I mean every week there is one panel that I'm waiting for Freya to finish the issue so I can be like okay but what do you think about that? And that's just <laughs> It's just a whole extra layer to the appreciation above. I like these characters above. I like this craft. And that that just is a lot of joy for me. So that's a little peek behind the curtain to, the three, to what we're doing and why we keep doing this. And hopefully that will show through next week because those are two comics that have the potential to really annoy us. So hopefully we will bring this love and this amount of togetherness and reading better to when it's read together to next week's comics. So until then, on behalf of myself, of Furry Hope, Tyler, and our currently departed but soon to return brother Harry. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of This Week in X on Crushing Comics, and we hope that you are well. Bye. Bye. I just got news. Harry's resurrected. Yes, he's back. Yeah. He will got be it. back. Wait, I thought you seen the healing gardens. What do you mean he's resurrected now? Oh, he died. We lost I mean, him. While we're, we yeah, lost we him lost him. I mean, you know, I mean, I, yeah, just, we, he was just told that let's, he, he, he gave consent. So send him back to the list. Thank you. Okay, I'm turning off the recording. Now.